Good morning, Northgate. As I record this, I hear the rain falling all around me here and think of some of my friends who are off on a camping weekend this, this weekend and I've been praying for them as they encounter God, but under the little bit of uh, hardship of this heavy rain that we're having. Fortunately for us, we're not outside tomorrow. We're actually indoors at Farrell Hall, so we're looking forward to meeting in person. But for those of you that are online, I appreciate meeting this way as well, um, these days that we're going through. And I want to share with you in advance a message that I will be sharing tomorrow as we meet uh, together. And it comes out of the book of 1 Samuel chapter 7. If you've been following along with what Dan has been teaching on, you've been following that he's been talking about Samuel and we're up to the chapter 7. And so when Dan and I met and we were talking about today and what I would be covering, I really didn't know anything about this passage. I know the story of Samuel, but I don't know a lot about it. And so I was quite thrilled by being able to read this and then realize the impact it's having on me personally. It is really a powerful, powerful chapter. So I'm very grateful that I'm able to share on it today, this morning for, for you, but mostly for me. I learn a lot through being able to study and prepare, and it, this one is really going to stay with me, I think, for the rest of my life. So let me just read you First Samuel chapter 7. We're not going to cover the whole chapter, but by reading it, it'll give you the context of what we will cover today. So First Samuel chapter 7, I'm reading from the ESV, says, And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadad on the hill. And they consecrated his son, Eleazar, to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From that day, the ark was lodged in Kiriath-Jerim. And a long time passed, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away your foreign gods and the, uh, the Ashroth from you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away their Baals and their Ashereth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all of Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against, the, against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord on our behalf for us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. And Samuel was offering up a burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them in confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far below as Beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and sat it up between Mizpah and Shen 
and called it Ebenezer, where he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities of the Philistines that they had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. From Ekron to Gath and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israelites and the Amorites. So Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on the circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return from Ramah, for his home was there, and there he also judged Israel. And he built there an altar of the Lord. Well, the background to this passage, that's a lot in a, in a chapter and a lot for us to try to cover. So the background to it is simply this, is that Israel had been using, and Dan mentioned this last week, that Israel had been using the ark as a is almost a good luck charm that if they bring it, they will have success in whatever they do, forgetting that the ark, it wasn't just an object like a good luck charm, but it was representative of the presence of God, not a good luck charm. So they brought it into battle and lost the battle. And so the Philistines actually won the ark as the trophy and brought it back to their land. It didn't take long till they began to notice that this ark was causing them great havoc so the Philistines, after seven months, said, we don't want it anymore. They had their own idols fall down, plagues. I mean, the whole, whole thing happened with them. And so they were like, get rid of this thing. We do not want it. We don't know why you want it, but we certainly don't want it. So they arranged to return the ark back to Israel. So they did so. And so the people of Israel once again got the ark. And so chapter 7 starts with the people of Israel having the ark returned. Now, if you know the story, a little later on, David goes and gets the ark in this great dancing celebration. This is not that period of time. It's as if there's no place for the ark to go. So they prepare a home and consecrate a man, and they, uh, they set him up to look after the ark. But the land is in great despair. It's lamenting. There's sadness. There's sorrow. The cities are in ruin. The place is a mess. The Philistines are oppressing them. The people are not free. They had lost the war. They've never won it. Even though they got the ark back, there's nothing happening with the ark for them. There's no signs. There's no wonders. There's no celebration. There's nothing. It was a dark, long period of time. The scripture says it was a long period. 20 years, basically, nothing happening. There's a period of lament, is the way the scriptures describe it. And that's the one side of the story. What I love about the one side of the story is here you have all this bleakness and darkness, kind of like looking around me today. It's cool and rainy and bleak. Yesterday was sunny and beautiful, but today is bleak. And in, in Israel's history at this time, it was like it was bleak all around them and nothing was happening. But what they didn't know or they didn't see or didn't recall is that meanwhile, there was a man by the name of Samuel that God had prepared for this day and for this time. Samuel was called by God as a child, and you would remember that part of the story where he hears God calling him Samuel, Samuel. So Samuel clearly heard the voice of God, clearly heard the call of God, and God called him Samuel for this day and for this time. And God prepared him to serve specifically the people of Israel, 
during this period of time. So 20 years of lament are going on, but meanwhile, Samuel is serving. And there's every indication that Samuel wasn't quiet during these 20 years, but rather he went under the radar of the Philistines. He went and he served the people. He went and still ministered to them, just kind of keeping it low and quiet, but he was still actively involved, helping the people to go through this dark period of time and bringing about a place where the people began to see, we want to get out of this place. We want to come from this depth of lament and back into the presence of God. It's interesting because it was 20 years of nothing. Nothing. You know, of Samuel, and I'm sorry I missed this, I just looked down at my notes and realized in chapter 3 when it was talking about Samuel, this really neat description of Samuel occurs. It says, the Lord was with him and none of his words fell to the ground. An interesting expression. And all of Israel knew that Samuel was an established prophet of God. So when Samuel spoke, they listened. So he had that commanded authority of God that they actually listened to. So the people are in their depths, they're in their lament. They're, they're finally coming to an end of themselves. It's interesting how God is never in a rush to bring us to that place. He will leave the circumstances as they are as long as it takes for our heart to be ready for us to return back to God. It's said, there's a commentator that said, heart readiness was far more important than anything else. However long it takes, God is willing to take it so that we would return back to him. This was the case of Israel. These 20 long years had had come and the house of Israel was finally ready to come out of this dark place, come out of feeling sorry for themselves, to come out of sinning and come to a place where they were ready to recognize God. And God was waiting for this moment. He had provided and prepared Samuel for this very day and for this time. So Samuel in verse three of chapter seven says, Samuel, calls out to the people and uses this one very great powerful word. He says, if, not assuming that they were really ready. He says, if you are returning to the Lord your God, here's the qualifications. Come with all of your heart. Put away all of your foreign gods. Direct your heart toward the Lord. I love that expression. Direct your heart toward the Lord and serve him only. They had worshiped their gods of Baal and Ashoreth, and these were gods of sensuality, of sexuality, of lust, of perversion, of just numbing my own feelings and filling myself with false love is what these idols would do for them. It was about pleasure and fulfillment that didn't last. There was still the lament that they were living in, still the darkness. And so Samuel calls them out of this and the people followed his call. They got rid of their idols and they began to serve the Lord only. What a beautiful response to Samuel's message. There is a commentator by the name of Matthew Henry, which I love to refer to, just kind of expands on the scriptures a bit. And he says of this period with Israel, he says that true repentance begins in lamenting after the Lord. 
we must recognize that sin, we must recognize the sin that has provoked God to withdraw. And we are undone in the state of the distance between us and God. That's what brings about true repentance. We are undone by the distance, which is what happened with the people of Israel. They were undone by it, so they called out. And Samuel called them out, and they repented. They put away their foreign gods. They turned to God with all their heart, and they chose to serve him only. So Samuel, as this is taking place, he calls the people together to a place called Mizpah, which means chosen, or a place watchtower, which suggests that it was high above. The people could see all around, and it was a place where events that really pertain to um, the history of Israel in a great way took place at Mizpah. So it was elevated all around so they could see anything that was going on around them, but it also meant the enemy could see anything that they were doing. So while at Mizpah, Samuel intercedes for the people, they repent, and the people pour water out on the ground before the Lord. And this symbolizes a, an act of pouring out their souls before God. They were so lamenting, they were so repenting, they were so sorrowful for what they had done. They're pouring this water out to God and they fasted and they confessed their sins and said, we have sinned against you, Lord, we have sinned. See, true repentance is greater than just saying, I'm sorry. Sorry means you're sorry but it doesn't mean you're gonna change. It just means you're sorry. It takes ownership for what we've done. It took ownership for what they had done. So they cried out for forgiveness to the one that they had offended. There's a great noise. There's lots of commotion. There was lots of active repentance going on. It was all taking place in this elevated place. And the Philistines could see what was going on. The people were regaining their strength. The people were connecting with God. The people were coming alive again. They were crying out to God. But the enemy could see it. And they knew that as they had tried to defeat the enemy previously and lost, when they saw the enemy surrounding them, I'm sure they felt we we're going to lose again. So they cried out to Samuel, cry out to your God. Cry out to your God, cry out to your God that he will save us. So Samuel takes, he cries out to the Lord and takes a, a precious suckling lamb, a perfect lamb, and offers it as a sacrifice for the people's sins. What a picture that is, isn't it? A sacrifice, a perfect lamb for the people's sins. And God, in all his might and all his power, when he sees this sacrifice and hears this cry. It says that the scriptures say that he, his voice just thundered and it so rocked the Philistines. They, they scrambled, they, they cowered, they took off. They had no idea what was happening. They very likely knew it was God and it was greater than them, so they fled. And as they fled, the Israelites followed them and overtook them and slaughtered them. Kind of gross, but that's what they did. They slaughtered them. And so after that war took place and after the freedom came to the house of Israel again, Samuel erects a stone to 
a place of remembrance, calls it Ebenezer, and says with that stone, until now, the Lord has helped us, and peace has returned to the land. Well, I love stories like this, and as I was reading it, as I said, I didn't know what chapter 7 was about until I started to read it, and as I was reading it, I was saying, Lord, this is powerful. This is ministering to me, and I pray that it ministers to you as well. This is really powerful. So here's some of my takeaways, and I'd encourage you to study it more and to sense what God could be saying to you about this passage. But here's what I got out of it. Number one, our period of lament does not mean that God is inactive. People thought so. And I think you and I often think so. When things are dark and gray all around us, we tend to think God isn't doing anything. But somewhere in yours and in my circumstance, God has prepared a Samuel. There's someone or something or a situation that he is setting up for that day and for that time. Likely he's just waiting for us to come to that place where we are willing to follow him with all our heart, our soul, and our mind, where we're willing to give up our idols, where we're willing to give up the false gods and false loves and false comfort, where we're willing to give up our lusting for things that will never satisfy where we're willing just to come to him and to truly repent far beyond just feeling sorry for any sins we're doing, but repentance means a turning, a 180, this direction going in this direction. I have turned from this way and I'm heading in this way. God is active even when we don't know he is. The second thing I got out of it is many of us are in leadership and there are periods of time where it just seems like nothing's happening. That God is just, I mean, we're doing our, we're being faithful, but nothing's happening. It's a period of grayness. God doesn't seem to be active. And yet, you know what I take out of this story? Is God for 20 years was preparing Samuel for this day and time. I believe that he is preparing you and me as leaders for this day and time. And the time will come when everything he's been doing in our life will come to fruition and we'll see, oh, that's what you were doing. You're preparing me for this day and for this time. Hold on. God is faithful. He is at work, even when we don't see him. The third thing I got out of this is that repentance is consuming. It's active. It involves our whole being, our, our whole person. It involves emotion, usually. It involves body, soul, and spirit. Return to me, with return to God with all your heart, is what Samuel says, and put away your sins. So where's the action? My part, return. Turn. Return. Put away your sins. That's what I can do. Direct your heart toward God and serve him only. Those are the actions that I'm required to do. God does all the rest but I turn my heart, direct my heart toward God and acknowledge what I have done and acknowledge I'm responsible for it, that I have sinned, that I'm responsible for my sin, that I've fallen short of the glory of God, the scriptures say. Fourth thing I got out of this is that God is faithful. God provided a perfect lamb. As Samuel so clearly demonstrated with the little suckling lamb he offered, God provided a 
his son, the perfect lamb of God for our sins and for our sacrifices. And so there's nothing we need to do that can pay for our sins. It's already been paid for. It's up to us to confess and then receive what God has already done. So in 1 John, sorry, in John 1, 29, says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's how Jesus was described. The Lamb of God who takes away yours and my sins. The next thing I got out of this is that I promise you, when you're going through this period of time, when you're going through what God is doing in your life, the enemy will come against you. The enemy hates when we begin to turn to God. The enemy hates it. He'll try to crush you. He'll try to keep you in your bondage. He will try to keep you from returning to the Lord and from seeing, being fearful all around you and thinking it's impossible. We can't do it. Turn to God. Cry out to him. Ask others to join you in crying out to him as the children of Israel did with Samuel. Cry out to your God. Save us. Let's cry out together. This is a month that we're looking at, a month of prayer. And we're looking at being able to spend some time praying, crying out to God together. Come, save us from where we're at. Save us out of these bondages that we may be in. Move us into the fullness of all that you're calling us into. There's a prayer focus this month. And I encourage you to be a part of it. And there'll be more information coming out in the announcements with that. In conclusion, F.B. Meyer, one of the commentators, says this, that in this chapter 7 of Samuel, we see a beautiful picture of revival. It's found in these actions. And the first would be, revival begins when everybody comes together. So all of Israel came together into one place. They listened, they obeyed, and they all came together into one place in unity. Common goal. They all came in confession of their sin. They poured their hearts out to God. One, they came together. Second, they came together in, in confessing their sin. And third, they abandoned their false gods. They abandoned their sins of, of false love in favor of following true love himself. The fourth thing is that they interceded in prayer. They cried out, the house of Israel cried out to Samuel, cease not to cry out unto the Lord God for us. And true revival comes out of us crying out to God. It's not based on our actions, but it's based on our heart expressing itself fully God, to God. Cry out to God. Cease not praying. And then the fifth and final thing is they were fully surrendered to God. That's the outcome of all of this. And true revival flows out of our lives being fully surrendered to God. God bless you this day. I pray that you will be encouraged from this passage as I have been. May God encourage you no matter what you're going through, no matter what your circumstances are. God is active. God is involved. God is a Samuel waiting for you as well, somehow. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're faithful, even when we don't see you or we may not know that you're active, we may not know you're involved. 
I thank you that you're faithful, that you love us, that you're calling us to you, that you have great patience in waiting for us to come to an end of ourselves and come to a place of fully acknowledging you and repenting and acknowledging your greatness, your lordship, that you are God. Lord, thank you for the way of forgiveness through Jesus, the perfect lamb. Thank you for now for this day and for the life you've given us. May our hope continue to rise strong in you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you again, hopefully soon. Bye-bye.